As we journey through John's gospel, we're at the crucifixion of our Lord. Last week, I opened by going to Psalm 22, where we read of the crucifixion in the Old Testament. Today, I would like to begin by going to Genesis chapter 22, before we go to John chapter 19. In Genesis 22, we find a foreshadow of Christ being, becoming God's sacrificial lamb who died in our place for all mankind. So if you found your place in Genesis chapter 22, would you say amen? amen. All right. Genesis 22, let's read verses 1 through 14. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar upon the wood. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took a knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him upon offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And now, if you will, please go to John chapter 19. Let's read verses 16 through 18. John chapter 19 and verse 16, it says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. Amen. Last week we considered verses 16 and 17, and the emphasis for that message really came from what we find recorded in the other gospel accounts where we learn that Simon of Cyrene was called from among the onlookers to 
bear the cross of Christ, to help bear the cross of Christ to Golgotha. And as we study these events of the cross, I wonder how much we should go to the other gospel accounts. We obviously are going through John. Do I keep going to the other gospels and referencing all the details that we find there? And I've really debated how much to do that. But I keep coming to the conclusion that the cross is too great of an event that we should uh, bypass some of these other significant details that we find in the what are called the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're known as the synoptic gospels because they generally flow together. John's unique. John was written much later. And so it, it has other details that the other three do not record. So with that, I thought about what's taking place here in verses 16 and 17. And there's an event that takes place in Luke 23. Would you turn over there, please? Luke chapter 23 is where we'll be for today's message. There's an event that takes place there that I think is important for us to take note of as we study Christ on His way to the cross. Luke 23. What I'm about to read to you takes place in between verses 16 and 17 of John chapter 19. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 31, And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? So last week we mentioned the need for us to bear our cross. Simon of Cyrene here is compelled to bear the cross of Christ. He has come out of northern Africa. He's come to Jerusalem for this Passover week. And he's helping to bear the cross of Christ. And as disciples of Christ, we are to bear our cross in the likeness of Christ and in an example of what Simon has done. Bearing our cross is not to say we earn our salvation. Only Christ can bear that cross. It would only be His perfect blood that can wash away our sins. But bearing our cross is a mark of being a true disciple of Christ. And just as Isaac carried the wood that he was to be offered upon up to Mount Moriah with his father Abraham, so we are to carry our cross, the wood that will be offered on, so to speak, to carry that up Moriah with our heavenly Father that we can give ourselves willingly upon the altar of sacrifice. But aren't you glad God's not calling us to die right now? He's calling us to live for Him. And we need more people that will just live for God. It's not glamorous. You'll have to die to self. You'll be reproached by the world. 
But it is necessary if the child of God is to bear much fruit, we must learn to die. This stands in stark contrast of what the modern message today is of many churches. Many are preaching and many have believed the idea that Christianity means being secularly successful, being prosperous, and never experiencing any difficulties in this life. But I'll remind you that Jesus did not bear His cross so that we may escape ours, but He bore His cross that we might endure ours. We all have a cross that we are called to carry. According to God's Word, that we must expect to suffer persecution if we'll live godly in this present evil world. And remember this, it's not our cross, it is Christ's cross. And in one of the many Christian paradoxes we discover in the Christian life, there's actually joy for the believers who learn to suffer for Christ's namesake. Like the apostles, we can learn to rejoice because we have been counted worthy to suffer shame for the, for the cause of Christ. I touched on this last week. It is very possible that Simon is helping Jesus to bear the cross, that they are both carrying the cross together. Simon bearing the cross after him. Don't know for sure, but it could be, if that is the case, that Simon would be bearing the lighter part of the cross, the lighter half of the cross. And we know this, certainly for us, Christ has bore the heavier burden than we have to. Amen. Amen. And so the, the path that we're walking, it's already been marked with the footsteps of Jesus. We're just following Him. And it was not honorable at the time for Simon to be compelled to bear the cross of Christ. But we can see now how honorable it is for him, for he is ever recorded in the Scriptures as being the man who would bear the cross after Jesus. And like Simon, who only had to carry it for a short time, you and I really only have to carry our cross for a short time in this life. Life is short. Amen. We only have to bear it for a short time in this life. And listen, it's only a short time, but what awaits us is an exceeding, eternal weight of glory. Something that's far better than this life can give us if we'll just take up our cross and follow Him. I closed last week with these questions. Have you been compelled to take up your cross? Have you learned to die to self? Would you rather have God's will for your life than anything this world can offer? It's your decision. He's not going to make you. Are you truly a disciple of Christ? Not do you believe in Christ, but are you obeying Christ? Are you obeying His Word? Are you following His will for your life? And can others see that difference in your life? Now, let's move on to verse 27. And there followed Him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented Him. As I mentioned earlier, it's Passover week, and so great multitudes have descended upon Jerusalem. The house of Israel had been scattered some 650 years or so earlier. They are scattered throughout the known world, still retaining some of their their, their faith, they would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so all of these people would come into the city. This time of year would have been more crowded than any other time of the year in Jerusalem. And then when you think about the notoriety of Jesus, 
how popular he had become, how much his fame had grown, how crowded the city is. Just think about the, the mass of people that would have been present in Jerusalem, hearing about Jesus being scourged. He's going to be led out of the city. This multitude has now gathered to where he's going to be led out and then uh, led up to Golgotha. And so they've, they've now gathered to watch this event. And in this crowd, you can imagine there would have been a mix of all kinds of sentiments, all kinds of opinions, all kinds of people, just as it is today. The very mention of Christ today causes all kinds of emotions to be stirred up, all kinds of sentiments, all kinds of opinions. And it's just amazing that at the mention of Christ's name, what it can cause in the world. Amen. Amen. I mean, you go today and, and if you pray in Christ's name, uh-oh, how sad. So this crowd, there's a lot of opinions here. There are obviously those who are the Jewish religious elites that have, are the ones who brought Jesus before Pilate. Then there's the Romans, especially these soldiers here. Uh, these are the ones who, most of these would have been mocking Jesus, scorning Jesus, holding Jesus in great contempt. And then you would have some who were curious onlookers. Those who would have gathered to see what's going to take place. And from among those, there would have been different opinions. There would have been those who afterwards might have just thought, what's the big deal? Another man's died. But then there would have been some like the centurion who watched all the events and saw Jesus give up the ghost and said, truly, this man was the Son of God. All kind of opinions, all kind of sentiments. We find in verse 27 here that there were those present who even sympathized with Jesus and His sufferings. It's not surprising to me that we find the Bible makes special reference of those who were the most emotional were the women. That's not a knock. Ladies, don't get mad. But you are more emotional than men. Amen? And so these women here, they're bewailing, the Bible says. They're, they are mourning. In those days, believe it or not, they had what was called professional wailers. Can you imagine having that job? Uh, some of you are pretty good drama queens. I can see you doing that. But, you know, might as well get paid for it. And so during funerals, they would have these professional wailers. They would come along and they would just make a big scene. You can still see footage of this today. You ever watch a funeral over there and you see people throwing dust up in the air and all this kind of stuff? Same, same kind of thing they did then, except they paid people to do this. And so this is not professional wailers here. These are, these are women that genuinely have a sympathy for what is taking place with Jesus. And, and guys, uh, men, I, I think you can understand a, a mother's heart in watching somebody's child get beat, bloodied mess, and then knowing that he's heading to a place where they're going to nail him to a tree and raise him up. And this would have affected these ladies uh, very deeply as they behold this scene. This word be well means to beat the chest. It's akin to what you'll read in verse 48 if you want to look down there in this chapter. And all the people that came together to that site beholding the things which were done smote their breast and returned. So that's the scene after Jesus has passed. And here as He's leading up, they're, they're beating their, their chest in grief. It was a sign of sympathy. But I want you to understand, it does not mean they knew what was taking place. They did not know the significance of who Jesus really was. These women are a warning to all of us this morning. 
and to all who come in contact with Christianity. It is a warning for us who when we view Christ, we only have this sympathetic emotional response. I don't think there's anything wrong with being sympathetic here. I don't think there's anything wrong with being emotional. But if that's as far as it takes you, there's a problem. Feelings of sympathy do not equal salvation. And in feminized religions, what you find is Jesus still upon the cross. Still hanging there. And you'll find Mary, the mother of Jesus, looking on very sympathetically. Come on now. What am I talking to? A bunch of people that have never been outside a Baptist church before? Uh, And you find this when, when you get into that kind of environment. They're hanging on to this scene. But Jesus isn't on the cross anymore. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's victorious. And as the song that was just sung... Listen, there's coming a day when the nations will become His. And every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And so we we find that. But what happens in those, those kinds of situations where it's all about the sufferings of Christ and it's all about the sympathy of Christ's suffering, what happens is people will miss the totality of who Jesus is and what His sufferings secured. Because what do you find in those kind of environments? You find this. Well, you still have to work your way. You still have to have sacraments. You still have to have this religious observance. You still have to have all these things in order for you to know Christ because Christ is still on the cross for some reason. It's not enough to see a movie about Christ's passion. It's not enough to see His sufferings pictured and come out of a cinema emotionally stirred. Anybody should be able to see the sufferings that Jesus endured and know that that's very emotional. But Jesus, listen, He does not call us to weep for Him. But you know what He's saying here? You need to be weeping for your condition without Him. That's what Jesus is preaching to this crowd. We are called to repentance and faith in Him alone. Don't be guilty of having sympathy for Christ without ever believing on Him as your Lord and Savior. How sad to have sympathy for what He did and then miss it. But that's what's taking place here. And Jesus here, He sees these women who are after Him, wailing and lamenting. They see Jesus' suffering and they're mourning for Him. But Jesus knows their heart. And He knows that they don't really understand it all. And so He turns. He turns to them and He says this, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for Me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. Jesus, listen, this is amazing to me, that He is about to endure all of this, the wrath of God. He's, he's going up the hill. He's going to be uh, crucified. And yet, in that moment, 
he's already weakened. He's already been scourged. He's, he's already, quote unquote, half dead. He's, he, he's been beaten to the point where he can't even bear the cross anymore by himself, or at least he's not moving fast enough for the Roman soldiers won. And as he's doing this, he sees this scene of these women who are wailing and lamenting, and he takes time to turn and preach to them. Isn't that amazing? I don't think Jesus is condemning these women who are weeping after Him. But Jesus turns to these ladies and says, don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves because judgment is coming. Jesus wants them to understand judgment comes to those who reject Christ. Don't weep for me because I'm suffering. But weep because you are sinners who will stand in judgment before God. Is everybody hearing me this morning? This is serious stuff. It was their sinfulness and ours that led Jesus up that hill to suffer for us. And in this context, what we find is Jesus is specifically addressing Jerusalem. He turns to them and says, Daughters of Jerusalem. And He zeroes in on what shall come upon Jerusalem for rejecting Him as their Savior. And what happened to Jerusalem ought to be a warning to all of us. This is the last prophecy Jesus gives about this before His death. You may remember earlier in His ministry, He, he already forewarned that judgment was coming because they missed Him as the Messiah. Matthew 23, verses 34 through 38 say, Wherefore, behold, I send unto you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them ye shall scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. If you study that out, in essence, what Jesus is saying, all the Old Testament prophets that I sent to preach that you rejected. He goes on to say, Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And then in Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44, And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now are they hid from thine eyes? For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. God's trying to visit some of you this morning. Do you understand the time that you have? Luke chapter 21, verses 20 through 24. And when ye shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains, and them which are in the midst of it, depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter thereinto. For these be the days of vengeance, 
that all the things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. Isn't that what Jesus is warning about? For there shall be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. They shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Jesus had already warned them, but it had no impact upon them. And isn't that sad? Isn't it sad that a God-called preacher can get up and give you the clear gospel, warn you of the wrath to come, and people can leave out of here lost? Isn't that heartbreaking? Jesus warned them it had no impact. And now, yet again, in some of His last words, before His death, Jesus looks upon these women, and again He foretells of the judgment which is on the way. Jesus had said, uh, Woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. And the reason was because there was going to be great distress in the land, and there was going to be wrath upon this people. Which people? The Jewish people. So Jesus turns and He says, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for Me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. If you want to weep, you need to weep because there's suffering that's coming upon you for rejecting Christ. Don't weep for what's happening to Me. How bad was it going to be? Verse 29 tells us, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear and the paps which never gave suck. In the Old Testament, you'll find that women considered it a terrible thing to be barren. Hannah goes to the tabernacle and she prays for a man child. Women were desirous to give birth to the Messiah and that's why they would ask for a man child. And she she prays and 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 it says this, she she had bitterness in her soul. That's how much it hurt to not have a child for her. She wept sore. She calls it her affliction. She was in misery because of this. But how interesting here, Jesus flips it around. And He says, no. There's coming a day when you're going to say, blessed are those that don't have children. Blessed are those who have never had to nurse a child. Now, how strange would that have been to hear? That all of a sudden, this this prophet is saying, no. There's coming a time when it's going to be so bad. You'll be thankful if you didn't have children. And I don't want to get too far into the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. But it was a very horrific event. It was so bad. The Bible says there was never a time up to there and there won't be a time after that that was that bad. Josephus records a lot of what took place. Um, historian of those days, he records a lot of what took place during this time. Jesus had warned them, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, beginning to compass with armies, you need to flee. When you start seeing these things come to pass, you need to get up and you need to go. And he says, it's going to be tough if you're, if you're pregnant. It's going to be tough if you're nursing. But that wasn't the worst of it. It wasn't just the fleeing part. That wasn't even close to what was going to be worse. 
As the Romans began to surround the city in late 66 AD, people were getting out of there as quick as they could. But those who didn't flee to the mountains, as Jesus warned, man, it went, it went downhill in a hurry. They cut off supplies to the city. They didn't allow people to come out. They were allowing people to go in. It was swelling with people. As supplies cut off, conditions inside the city got so bad that people actually began to eat their own children. The siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD was so brutal that the soldiers would take children by their heels and smash them against the wall. Blessed are those who are barren. Can you imagine? Those that lived would have been sold into slavery. And and listen, let me just take a side note here to say this. Parents, you better be careful because your actions, the consequence of your actions can hit your children. Those children didn't have any say in the matter. And yet they're suffering the consequences of their parents' bad decisions. And when you don't feel like serving the Lord and you don't feel like doing right, you need to think about those things. Say, I don't know if I want to do the will of God for my life. You better do it for your kids' sake. Come on now, that's good preaching. And we got to get serious about this. But anyway, look at verse 30. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. So things would be so bad that there would be a desire to just die. To be taken out before God's wrath is poured out. And this is the same language, and I believe there's a double meaning here personally. This is the same language we find at the end of this age when the sixth seal is opened in the book of Revelation. Revelation 6, 15-17, it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of Him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? And it's going to be so bad, that in Romans 9 or Revelation 9 6, the Bible says, And in those days shall men seek death and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. Why is this the case? Why are people going to be seeking for death? Because they chose not to weep for their own sinfulness when they had an opportunity to receive Christ, they rejected Him. They didn't want His free gift of salvation. When His wrath begins to be poured out, the sinner will know the enormity of their foolishness for having rejected the Lord as their crucified Savior. Look at what Jesus says in verse 31. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Jesus is the green tree referred to here. He is the tender branch. He is the rod of the stem of Jesse. He's the beautiful and glorious branch of the Lord, the Bible says. He is the branch of righteousness. And if this is how they treated our sinless Savior who had life and who is life, 
then how is it going to be for the dry tree that has rejected Christ? If this is how God allowed the innocent substitute for sinners to suffer, then what will come of the sinner who falls into the hands of an angry God? God did not spare His only Son who became our ransom. Why then should God be merciful to the unregenerate who have rejected His Son? Oh, I know it's not popular today. But it's the Word of God. Hebrews 2.3 How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Hebrews 10.29 Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. How much sore punishment. Charles Spurgeon wrote, Jesus was deserted of God. And if He who was only imputedly a sinner was deserted, how much more shall you be? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. What an awful shriek. But what shall be your cry when you shall say, O God, O God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And the answer shall come back because you have said it not my counsel. You would none of my reproof. And I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. If God spared not His own Son, how much less will He spare you? End quote. This passage contained within Luke's gospel, I believe, is much needed as we look at the events of the cross to get the whole of what is taking place. We have to be moved past our emotions of the cross and see our own great need. Your only refuge is to be found in Christ. But if you reject Him, get this now, then you will have no refuge from Him. Your refuge is Christ. But if you neglect Him, you're not going to be safe from Him. We all have a judgment day awaiting us. Either you will enter into the joy of your Lord or you will enter into eternal damnation in the lake of fire. What's it going to be for you? Heaven or hell? Spurgeon continued in that paragraph writing this, What whips of burning wire will be yours when conscience shall smite you with all its terrors? Ye richest, ye merriest, ye most self-righteous sinners, who would stand in your place when God shall say, Awake, O sword, against the man that rejected me. Smite him and let him feel the smart forever. Jesus was spit upon. Sinner, what shame will be yours? We cannot sum up in one word all the mass of sorrows which met upon the head of Jesus who died for us. Therefore, it is impossible for us to tell you what streams, what oceans of grief must roll over your spirit if you die as you are now. You may die so. You may die now. By the agonies of Christ, by His wounds, and by His blood, do not bring upon yourselves the wrath to come. Trust in the Son of God, and you shall never die. End quote. 
Hebrews 12.25 says, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. Do you need Christ today? Are, are you right now, do you have the sentence of God's wrath upon your life that will be executed upon you the very moment you die? We don't know. Grayson was driving down the road. You don't know. You don't know. Do you need Christ? Listen, have you ever wept over your sinfulness? Jesus said, don't weep for me. You weep for your sinfulness because you're on your way to a devil's hell without Christ. Jesus willingly went to the cross to die for your sins. And He shed His blood so that you could be eternally forgiven. And that you might have a relationship with Him. I would tell you to come to Christ today. I would tell you don't delay. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Weep not for me. Weep for yourselves. Understand your crime against a holy God. Let's pray.